Greetings, this is Eric Senrod from Dwayne Morris bringing you your weekly Tech Law 10 where the law and information technology intersect. Uh, we've uh, missed you the last couple of weeks, but we are back going strong. We're well into the 200s with our podcast. As always, I'm joined by my colleague, Jonathan Armstrong at Quartery. Jonathan, you're getting down and getting dirty today. What's up? <laughs> Thanks very much, Eric. And uh, welcome back, everybody. And sorry for our break. So one of the reasons that we've been on a little bit of a pause is I've been traveling. And uh, a, a week or so ago, I was in Canada for the excellent Cantec Law Conference. I'd hardly recommend it if you're based in that part of the world. And one of the things I went to was an excellent panel with, uh, and let's give a shout out to Richard Austin and Emily Laidlaw, who did a panel at the conference on one of our favorite topics, Eric, certainly one of yours, intermediary liability and the so-called mere conduit defense. Now, the slight spin on this was, and, and maybe I've lived under a rock, Eric, but uh, <laughs> I've never heard of a site called thedirty.com. Nor have I. I have Nor have I. I'm under the same rock, by the way, so go ahead. <laughs> well, now that I have heard of it and now that I've seen it, I probably would like to close Pandora's box, but it's, uh, it's not possible now. And the site is the responsibility of uh, somebody called Nick Ritchie, who apparently used to be called Human Caramean and was also called Corbin Grimes. And he set up this site, originally called DirtyScottsdale.com, to basically... Um, what would we say in a polite word, take the mickey out of individuals who are walking around uh, Scottsdale, particularly those who are enjoying the social life, particularly those who had uh, availed themselves of plastic surgery. And it was, if you like, a shaming site originally. And he tried to maintain this site anonymously. Apparently, um, and I don't recommend this to anyone at home, uh, using a fake British accent when interviewed. Um, anyhow, fast forward, this site is huge and claims to have broken a whole load of mainstream stories, including those uh, about um, politicians in the US who, frankly, I haven't heard of, and sports stars, etc., but one I have heard of in that they claim that in 2011 they first broke the story about Stormy Daniels and your President Trump. <laughs> and, and, and they claim that as my a result... Pres my President Trump? <laughs> <laughs> He's the President of the United States. We'll leave it that way. <laughs> and, uh, and, and, and he seems to claim that uh, any payment that was made to Stormy Daniels was in part because of uh, what the Dirty uh, had revealed about a relationship that they may or may not have had. And I guess it's a topic that we've looked at in the past, but one of the, I should say, allegations that some people made at the conference was that there was a close connection between the site and some reputation management agencies. 
Now, I think we've seen increasingly that particularly high net worth individuals are very concerned about their online reputation. And at times, they're using reputation managers to groom their Wikipedia entries, for example. And we've had uh, long-standing surveys into that with political figures, with um, uh, Russian oligarchs, for example, and even it is alleged the Vatican managing their online reputation and being judicious about their past. But this seems to be a slightly different spin in that the rumors seem to be somewhat scurrilous about individuals. They mostly seem, from my quick look, to be female and usually seem to allege that they have uh, either a drugs habit or uh, a um, sexually transmitted disease or both. And apparently what happens is if one of these individuals complains to the site, they're told that the site has no responsibility, but that they can engage a reputation management company who will then possibly be able to help them. And at least some have cast doubt as to whether there is actually a connection between these reputation management companies and the website that's somewhat less than above board. And at least the allegation that some are making is that um, this is a way of the site adding potentially to its revenue by effectively uh, ensuring that there's an incentive for them to act on complaints. And I guess my question, Eric, is uh, A, is that a good illustration of the things that we've been talking about, about the protection for internet intermediaries? And B, I guess my point of curiosity is it seems clear from my brief look at the site and from the panel that Richard and Emily led in Canada that there's a high level of Canadian individuals on this site now, which is obviously hmm. challenging from a PIPEDA point of view, from a Canadian privacy point of view, and that I found at least one uh, French uh, national, or at least she was listed on the site as a French national, which would then, of course, potentially give uh, a GDPR aspect to this site, mm -hmm. and will there, um, it's nothing to do with those gov type defense hold up under GDPR. I have my doubts as to whether that's the case, particularly given the content of the site, and particularly given that, that you, you know, back in, uh, I mean, don't quote me on this, and I should have looked it up, but I think back to the 1880s, the UK has had specific legislation on alleging, uh, the, uh, alleging that a female has sexually transmitted diseases, which, which is dealt with by the law pretty uh, aggressively still in the UK, and, uh, and rightly so, of course, when there's no foundation at all. So I know that's a, ra a rag bag of questions <laughs> and statements <laughs> and allegations. Right. Pick from that what you will, Eric. Well, if I were defending myself in a deposition right now, I would say, objection, compound. Please break down your question. But I think I can handle <laughs> it. <laughs> I've, I've instructed myself well on how to proceed here. Um, well, I'm not the guy to comment, obviously, on GDPR. That's more up your alley. And uh, I can sort of give you the U.S. take on this. And I, you know, I'm glad we're talking about intermediary liability. It keeps popping up. 
you know, I'm teaching it frequently at the university level. But as I've explained in the past, of course, we have Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which was passed by our Congress in the mid-1990s, essentially saying that Internet service providers have immunity for third-party content posted on their platforms. And the whole idea was to really enable a flourishing uh, Internet, have the economy boom in the tech area, and not have tech companies be worried about what other people post on their sites. And the high watermark of court interpretation of Section 230 was the Xeron case from the Fourth Circuit in the late 1990s. And you might remember the, the tragic bombing of the Murrow Federal Building in Oklahoma City. And on AOL, there were various postings attempting to link a fellow by the name of Xeron to the bombing. Um, I won't go into all the details, but ultimately, you know, he was receiving death threats. Uh, his employment basically cratered. He, need, he needed 24-7 um, protection to make sure he was safe. And he had requested that AOL take down the postings. Um, so it wasn't even a situation where AOL had on the front end had to screen and filter and make sure all content was appropriate. He said, look at these communications. You need to take these down. AOL did not, apparently. And the Court of Appeal ultimately ruled that AOL did not have to do that. Um, that had no intermediary responsibility because these were postings by third parties, no matter how heinous they were, no matter what the potential harm to Xeron. That was kind of the high watermark of what I would call Internet exceptionalism. Um, and that's actually a phrase I borrowed from Eric Goldman, a professor at Santa Clara Law School. Uh, I want to attribute it properly. But basically just saying, you know, the Internet rules supreme vis-a-vis uh, -vis Internet service providers. Fast forward you know, in around, I believe, 2008 or so, there was the Ninth Circuit decision um, in the roommates.com case, and the court there held very differently. In that particular case, there was a website that allowed, you know, would-be roommates to find each other online. You know, let's say, you know, you were moving to San Francisco, Jonathan, and you couldn't afford an apartment by yourself. You could try to find somebody to share a two-bedroom apartment with. And some of the questions that were queried on the site were, you know, your gender, uh, your religious preference, your ethnicity, things like that, which potentially could lead to, uh, you know, housing discrimination. And the court ruled because the website just even had a platform that allowed people to, you know, seek out roommates along those parameters, that was enough to give it some liability and it was not protected by Section 230. So we saw some pulling back on two, Section 230 immunity. And then, of course, we had the presidential election in 2016, and there have been a lot of allegations that there was, you know, fake information uh, put on Facebook and other major social media uh, platforms that potentially could have influenced our election. Footnote, we're having our midterm elections tomorrow. So next time we talk, Jonathan, we'll know a lot more about that. Um, I'm not seeing the same kind of rumblings as we heard about after the fact last time uh, because the social media companies were called to tack. They had to testify in front of Congress. And they started taking seriously the fact that what goes on their platforms could have major impacts, could even sway a presidential election. And they seem to be on their own now policing themselves and trying to take down a lot of false postings that can relate to elections, as opposed to just sitting back like AOL did in the 1990s saying, sorry, not our problem, even though there's an individual who's getting death threats. Um, and all we have to do is take down the postings that he identifies. So getting to your situation here that
presented. Now that I've given a little bit of a history lesson, <laughs> hope that's okay. Um, mm. But um, but that bottom line, um, you know, you can see where this website, at least here in the United States, hey, we have Section 230 uh, immunity. On the other hand, we we are seeing the pendulum go back the other way, and to the extent there really is a connection between this ISP or this website and you know these reputation sorry reputation management companies that they have a financial arrangement, then it's no longer a neutral ISP. Um, you know it's really financially implicated uh, in everything going on that you described that I won't repeat, but it really has a financial stake. Uh, and what happens with the communications, uh, and, and it directly benefits uh, financially more than just benefiting from the usual ad, you know, ad revenue that ISPs get. So I could see where there could be an argument made that there potentially could be uh, responsibility and perhaps not be shielded by uh, Section 230 uh, immunity. Phew. Okay, what do you think about that? Did I respond adequately? You, you did indeed, Eric, and I suppose what we should say at this stage is that is they were allegations and and uh, unlike the site itself um, we need to make clear that they're allegations and, and, and not especially uh, fact and even if even if the site itself is prepared to tar people without evidence then that's not something that we do in these podcasts so obviously if the dirty want the right of reply then then we shall give them it I also misstated the date of the uh, it's the Slander of Women Act, which is 1891, so far more <laughs> recent than the 1880. I'd guessed that, I think, and uh, oh, yeah. and that uh, and that legislation was qualified, as you probably know, because you're an encyclopedia, Eric, by the UK Defamation Act in, in 2013. But it, but that legislation uh, it does go back to Tudor times, um, mm. uh, at least it seems, and it, it originally dealt with um, women who had leprosy. Um, a sexually transmitted disease or the plague, so mm. uh, so a pretty old line of cases there. But I, I think it is. I mean, I think the points you make are really well held, Eric. I mean, I think it's you know one of those things again is are these laws that are relatively recent still fit for the omnipresent digital media type age? And I guess we've talked about the issues with sites like TripAdvisor in the past, that when people had a cooling off period after the bad meal in a restaurant and they went home in the cold light of day, they wouldn't post what they do now from their mobile phone in the middle of a meal when their steaks arrived too hot or too cold or too rare or too well done. Then I think it's maybe not a surprise that we're seeing sites like the dirty where people who've been, you know, their advances have been rejected or their relationships mm -hmm. broken up or they think their boyfriend's been stolen or whatever, that people are venting their spleen uh, online um, as well as, you know, calling it out in a, in a nightclub at 2 a.m. in the morning. So maybe this is a taste of things to come and maybe we can't survive under our nice little rock ignoring sites like the dirty <laughs> anymore, Eric. I think we're out from under the rock, but I have to give you credit. You know, there I was citing law from the 1990s, and you're going back to the 1890s. What are we to make of that? Anyhow, folks, <laughs> I know we're well past our 10, but, you know, we've, we've had pent-up energy to talk to you because we haven't done that in the last couple of weeks. 
So my name is Eric Sinrod. I'm at Dwayne Morris. You can reach me at ejsinrod at dwaynemorris.com. Keep sending us ideas for podcasts. You can find us on the usual social media outlets. Jonathan, speak to us. Close it down. Yeah, I'm jonathan.armstrong at cordrycompliance.com. All that remains is to thank you for listening. We'll pick up cases even more recent than the 1890s in future podcasts. And as Eric said, if you want to engage on this or other topics, LinkedIn might be the best forum to do that. As far as I know, neither Eric nor I are on the dirty yet. We'd rather not be there, I think. Um, All that remains is to thank you for listening, and we'll speak to you again in a week or so. Cheers. 